Help them not to distract themselves. Help them not to distract others as well. And Lord, uh, as we deal with this passage, the most important event in the history of the world. And Lord, help us to just be able to give the attention that needs to be given. Help me, Lord, that your spirit would come upon me and allow me to say the things that you'd have me to say. In your precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in John chapter number 19 and we read about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to just go through this chapter and point out a few things to you and uh, try not to be too long tonight. If you look at verse 1, John 19, 1, the Bible says, Then Pilate, now if you remember, Pilate is the, the leader there of the, in charge of that area. He's the Roman leader of that area. And the Bible says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Now, let me just give you some of these words, because they might be uh, words that you're not familiar with. The word scourge, uh, scourge was a whip, or a lash. And the Bible says that they took Jesus and they scourged him. In other references, it tells us that they would uh, they scourged him 39 times. The Bible says they scourged him 40 times, save one. And that was the manner of the Jews, because in the Old Testament, I don't have time to show it to you, but God, in the Old Testament, said that you were only allowed to scourge a man, to whip a man 40 times. And the Jews just made it a habit of scourging a man 39 times, and they gave themselves one you know, time there, kind of as a buffer, in case they miscounted or whatever, they didn't want to break God's law. So they scourged Jesus 39 times. And, um, you know, you, you really got to, when you're reading this story, it's easy to just kind of read through it, but you really got to understand what's going on. When the Bible says they took a whip and they scourged him, and that means they, they whipped him 39 times. Now you got to keep in mind, the, the, the whip that was used was a type of whip that would almost just wrap around his body. And as, it would, as they would whip him and it would wrap around his body, it would catch on to his flesh. And then when they would pull it, pull it back, it would literally rip the flesh. It rip flesh. The Bible says in Isaiah that we are healed by his stripes. And literally, the whip left stripes across his back and across his torso um, because of the beating that they gave him. And they did this 39 times to Jesus Christ. And, you know, we read that, then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. But you really got to think about what's happening when this happened to Jesus. 39 times, you know, just uh, a whip was laid across his back and across his chest and his torso. And then it was ripped back. And as it would be ripped back, the flesh would come off of his body and it would leave a strike there. And that's why Isaiah said that we are healed by his by his stripes, we are healed. And you know, eventually, after you get 39 of those, those stripes are going to start just overlapping, you know, and, um, and really exposing a lot of his body. In verse 2 it says, Then the soldiers plated a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they uh, put on him a purple robe. Now that, that word there, plated, that, that's an old word, it means to break. The soldiers, what they did is they took, uh, you know, thorns, and they braided them together in order to make a crown, and then they put that crown on Jesus, mocking him, saying, you know, oh, you say you're the king, you know, and they're giving him this crown, but it's a crown of thorns. Now you got to keep, you know, again, keep in mind, the thorns, they didn't just place it on his head. You know, they dug these thorns into his head, and the thorn actually actually went into his head, you know, and they're, they're, they're torturing Jesus, what they're doing. They're, they're causing him pain. You know, um, in verse... Three, the Bible says, and said, this is what they said to him, Hail the king of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. That word smote there means to strike or to hit. So after they did this to Jesus, then they just took a fist and these soldiers started pounding on Jesus. Just literally beating Jesus, you know. The Bible says, and I, you know, the Bible tells us that he was beat to the place where you couldn't even recognize him as a man. 
You know, a lot of times we have this mentality, and the Catholic Church will put up these little crucifix of Jesus where they put him on this cross, and he's just kind of, you know, just on the cross, and he has like one little, you know, strain of blood coming down. You know, and it looks like he's just, you know, this... Whatever, you know, this model on scar. That, that was not the case. The, the, the death of Jesus Christ was a, a bloody, uh, horrible event that took place. And they really mutilated his body. The Bible says in verse 4, Pilate therefore went forth and saved unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. That was interesting. If you remember from the last chapter, Pilate did not want to crucify Jesus. He keeps saying, you know, he, he keeps trying to get away from it. And even at this point, after he allows them to beat him, after he allows them to uh, scourge, you know, to 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 uh, hit him with these with, with the scourge and with this whip and and to put the crown of thorns, and then he comes out and says, "Look, I find no fault in him." You know, just saying. And, and what Pilate was trying to do, he was trying to satisfy these people, and he's saying, "Look, I, I'm willing to beat him, but I don't want to kill him." And he's just saying, "You know, does this make you happy?" If you look at verse five, then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe, so they put a robe on him. You know, just mocking him, saying he's a king. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. You know, that word behold there, he's saying, Look at the man. And he, and he really brings out this mutilated human being, and he says, Look at it. He's saying, Look what I've done to Jesus. And he's really saying, You know, does this make you happy? Does this satisfy you? Because remember, Pilate is struggling with himself. He's saying, Look, he doesn't want to crucify Jesus. And we'll see it more as we go through the chapter. But he's saying, Look what I've done to this man. Now, I don't even have this in my notes, but I just thought of this. Let's just go. go me to Psalm uh, 22. And in Psalm 22, we have a uh, prophecy of Jesus Christ. And Psalm 22 was written by uh, David, uh, but it's a prophecy of Jesus when he was going to die. And look at what Psalm 22 says about the, the death of Jesus Christ. If you see there in verse 1, it, it starts off with a very something you might recognize. It says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, and if you remember, it doesn't say it in John, but in another Gospels, Jesus actually cries this out when, when God turns His back on Jesus and uh, separates from Him because of the sin. He says, Why art, there, why art uh, thou so far from helping me and from the words of my word? Now keep in mind, this, this was written hundreds of years before Jesus Christ. I mean, this is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. This was written by David who never knew of Jesus, you know, as, as, the, as the person Jesus. He knew of the Messiah and of the Lord. But, he, you know, he never saw Jesus and he's writing these words. And look at how, uh, how accurate it is. In verse 2, Oh my God, I cry in the, time, in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. And uh, let, let's actually go down to verse... Um, Well, let's just keep reading. Verse 4. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm. No, we, we, uh, our fam the famous song says, that it talks about a, that, you know, he was like a worm, and that's where it comes from in verse 6. He says, but I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. So he's talking about these people who are laughing at him and scorning him. They shoot at the lip. They shake the head, saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help me. Many bulls have compassed, uh, compassed me. Strong bulls 
of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouth as a, ra- as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. We'll see here in a little bit in John 19 when they pierced Jesus. And the Bible says that blood and water came out of him. And it says there in verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Can you imagine that? I mean, I don't know if you've ever had a bone out of joint. You know, I, I never have, but I hear it's a painful thing. Imagine every bone in your body being out of joint. He says, all my bones are out, of, are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt. And my tongue cleaveth to my jaw. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. If you remember when they crucified Jesus on the cross, they pierced His hands and they pierced His feet when they nailed Him on the cross. Verse 17. He says, I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. That word tell there means count. Alright? If you remember like, um, if you ever heard the word, uh, or like at a bank, a teller works at a bank. You know, a teller counts money. You know, they give you $1, $2, $20, whatever. Um, the word tell means count. In Spanish, if you were to say like, oh, tell me a story, you would say, the word would be contar, which is the same word as counting. You know, or, or you know, you might, somebody might ask you, oh, tell, tell me the account of the story. You know, your account of the story. It's the same terminology. The word tell means to, to, to count. And look at what he says in verse 17. He says, I may tell all my bones. He's saying, I can count all my bones. They look and stare upon me. Because you've got to keep in mind, when he was whipped 39 times, and all that flesh was ripped off. I mean, he's saying literally he could see, he could look down, and he could look at all his bones. And he could count them. He says, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Do you remember we read that in John 19 where they were, you know, the soldiers were gambling for his clothes? He says, Be not, be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee uh, to help me. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll finish there, but as far as this chapter, go, go, go back to me to John 19. But if you see there, you know, it, it's, a, it's a horrible thing that Jesus is going through. I mean, it's a, it's a bloody, he's a bloody mess. And, and Pilate brings him out and he says, Behold the man. And he's saying, Look at this mutilated, look at this man, look what we've done to him. I mean, you got to keep in mind, he's probably got a broken nose, he probably has black eyes, he probably has bloody lips, he's got this crown of thorns on his head, his face is probably just filled with blood. If you've ever cut your, uh, you know, your head a little bit, you know your, your head bleeds more than any part of your body. Even a small cut will bleed up. So imagine as they place this crown of thorns on his head, he's just a bloody mess, and he's saying, Look, look at him. And he's trying to satisfy these people. Look at verse 6, John 19, 6. When the chief priest, therefore, and officers saw him. Now, these are evil people. The Bible says they saw him. I mean, just if none of us have ever seen a man beat up like Jesus was beat up. None of us have ever done it. And these wicked, hardened people, the Bible says they saw him. They looked at him. You think at that point they would have a little bit of compassion on him? Maybe a little bit of guilt? Maybe they'd realize, wow, you know, what have we done? Or man, you know, you're right, Pilate, it's enough, you know? Because um, Jesus did nothing wrong. But the Bible says the, um, the chief priests, therefore, and the authors saw him. And when they saw him, they weren't satisfied. They cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate saved them to them, because you remember, Pilate doesn't want to crucify him. And Pilate saved them to them, Take ye him and crucify him. For I find no fault in him. Pilate's just saying, look, I don't want to crucify him. In Mark 15, 15, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it for you. But Mark 15, 15, the Bible says, and so Pilate, willing to content the people. So it says Pilate was willing to make the people happy, uh, released Barabbas unto them, and delivered Jesus when he had scourged them uh, to be crucified. So Pilate doesn't want to do it, but he ends up crucifying.
crucifying Jesus anyway because he's willing to content the people. He wants to make the people happy. But the chief priests and the officers, they just hate Jesus. They just want him dead. Look at verse 7. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now keep in mind, keep in mind a few things. Pilate is saying, he's thinking of him as a human being, and he's saying, look, I find no fault in him. In other uh, passages... We're told that Pilate knew that Jesus had been delivered up because they were envious of him. He knew that they were just, they, they had envy and that's what they were doing. And he's trying, he thinks he's doing Jesus a favor by just beating him up and not killing him and saying, look, is this enough? You know? But they, they just won't let off. They're saying, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate says, I don't want to crucify him, you crucify him. And then they say, no, no, he needs to die. And they said, he needs to die because he made himself the Son of God. So they said, look, he's not just a man. You know, he said he was the Son of God. And at that point, the Bible says in verse 8, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was more afraid. Because here's what you've got to keep in mind. Pilate knew that there was something special about Jesus. If you go with me, just real quickly, go with me to, um, let's see. Uh, where was it that? I had it written down in my notes. Somewhere. I don't know. I'm a, I must have not wrote down. I think it's in Matthew. Uh, Pilate's wife actually comes to uh, Pilate and says to him, like, I've been having dreams about this man. You know, don't do anything bad to this person. And so Pilate, no, so he, he was afraid. And in verse 9, the Bible says, And went again to the judgment hall and said unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now that word, whence, okay, I'm just trying to teach you some of the you know, English words here in the King James Bible. The word whence means from where. That's what the word whence means. So when you ever, if you're reading your King James Bible and you hear somebody went, the word whence, it means from where. The word hence means from here. The word thence means from there. So if you say, if he says, you know, from whence art thou, he's saying from where are you? You know, if somebody says, oh, they came from hence, they're saying, oh, they came from here. If somebody says they, they came from they came from then, they're saying, oh, they came from over there. You know, so that's what those words mean. So Jesus, so when Pilate hears that they, he had said that he's the Son of God, he goes back to Jesus and he's saying, like, where did you come from? You know, he's saying, like, are you from, did you, did you come from heaven? You know, he wants to know, are you the Son of God? In verse 21, then said the chief priest of, of the Jews to Pilate, right, I'm sorry, I must say, I think I got my notes a little bit mixed up here, that's, where I'm finding my problem. Nine. Yeah, I must have must have left. Thinking to myself, I must have left some of my notes up there. Okay, well that's fine. Let's just uh, look at verse ten. I'll just preach it from memory. Verse ten. Then saith uh, Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? So you see there, the, the pride of Pilate. He's saying like, why aren't you talking to me? He says, don't you know that you have the power, that I have the power to crucify you? I have the power to release you? Look at what Jesus answers, verse 11. Jesus answered, thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Now you got to keep a few things in mind, alright? First of all, remember that in Matthew, Pilate's wife came to Pilate, and she said, don't hurt this man. 
She said, he is a righteous man. She said, I have suffered many things of him in a dream. So Pilate's wife, for whatever reason, had a dream about Jesus, and she knew there was something special about him. She knew he was innocent, and she warned Pilate, said, Pilate, don't do anything bad to this man. So Pilate has this already on his mind, you know, his wife said, I've had a dream about this guy, don't mess with him. He already has determined that he didn't do anything wrong. He understands that they're bringing him up because they're envying him. And then the Jews themselves, they said to him, you know, he said he's the son of God. So he's now, he's like, whoa, is this the son of God? Why did my wife have this dream? Why, you know, why is this happening? So he goes back to Jesus and he says, from whence art thou? And Jesus says nothing. He's going to answer him, where did you come from? And Jesus doesn't answer him. And then he says to him, you know, well, don't you know I have power to release you? And then Jesus responds to him, the only power you have was given to you from above. And at this point, uh, Pilate pretty much understands there's something special about this man. Because if you look at verse 12, the Bible says, And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. Now, it's kind of funny to me, because I'm kind of like, you know, what have you been doing this whole time? <laughs> you know, he's been trying to release him. But from that moment, he just decided, I need to release Jesus. He decided, I need, I need to not crucify him, because he is the Son of God. Now, before we move on, look at the last part of verse 11. I want you to see what Jesus responded to him. The Bible says, Jesus answered, Thou couldn't have no power at all against me, except that were given thee from above. And look what he says. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Now look, I grew up my entire life hearing preachers say this, all sin is the sin. All sin is equal. You know, and they'll say like, like, if you tell a lie, or if you kill somebody, it's the same thing. But is that what Jesus said? The Bible says, Therefore, they that delivered, the, um, delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. So Jesus said to them, These Jews have a greater sin. They have a bigger sin, Pilate, in delivering me to you than you do by you know, what you're going to do. You're going to crucify me. So I just want to show you that, according to Jesus Christ, there is no such thing as this sin makes you equal with that sin. You know, the, yeah, all sins are equal. God says... Look, the Jews are crucifying, they're performing a greater sin than you, Pilate. And look, the Bible never talks about all sin being equal. I mean, all through the, read the book of Leviticus, if all sin is equal, then you've got you to gotta answer this question. Why is it that God gives different punishments for different sins in the Levitical law? In the Levitical law, if you perform certain sins, if you killed a man, if you committed adultery, if you kidnapped, if you raped, if you were a homosexual, if you were into witchcraft, the, God said that was the death penalty. You know, there was other laws where like if you stole something, you have to pay back, you know, for four. So there was the death penalty for some sins. There was financial, uh, you know, uh, rip, uh, punishment for other sins. There was beatings for other sins. In some sins, there was no punishment at all. It was just a sin between you and God. You know, in the Levitical law, there's no punishment for a lie. You know, there's no... They didn't say, oh, if you lie, you got to do this. It was just... But it's still a sin. You know, but there we see that God treated certain sins different than others, you know. And the thing is, people will go to James chapter 2, where it talks about, you know, if you offend in one point of law, you know, you broke the whole thing or whatever. I'm misquoting it in James 2. But you got to... When you read James 2 in its context, you got to understand. He's talking about salvation. And yes, it is true that if you were to just... Just the, the sin of lying will send you to hell. So just one sin, no matter how big or small, is enough to condemn you to hell. Yes, that is true. But the Bible never says that all sins are equal. And and here's what's so bad about that sin. Is people will say, all sins are equal. So then somebody commits adultery, and they say, well, it's, you know, all sins are equal. Everyone's a sinner. Or, or, you know, something really bad. Somebody kills somebody, or somebody, whatever, and they'll say, well, I'm a sinner just like you. And it's like, no, hold on a second. 
Not all sins are equal. I mean, Pilate was told, you know, the Jews have the greater sin. He said, well, why did the Jews have the greater sin? For the same thing. Because the Jews wanted Jesus crucified, and, G- and the Pilate was going to crucify Jesus. What was the difference? Here's the difference. The Jews had, had been preached to more. They had more knowledge. They had been given the, the oracles of God. They had a better chance at understanding what was going on with the Messiah. Jesus had had an entire ministry with the Jews, preaching to them, you know, uh, giving them parables and stuff. Pilate didn't have this opportunity. And the Bible says this, you know, um, to whom much is given, much shall be required. And, and for the exact same sin, Jesus said, these people have done worse. And here's, here's the only difference. They, had a, they, they were given more opportunities to do right. They were given more Bible. You know, and, and I'll tell you the honest truth. Christians who come to church and have been taught the Bible, and know the Bible, they can perform the same sin that an unsaved person, or someone who hasn't had that opportunity, and God is going to look at it worse for the person who has the knowledge, and continues anyway, than to the person who maybe, because the Bible uses this terminology, it talks about uh, sinning with ignorance, and it's still a sin, but there's a difference between somebody who sins and doesn't know they're sinning, and somebody who knows exactly what they're doing. So, you see there, Jesus said um, in verse 11, Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. So there's no such thing as, all sin is equal. All sin will send you to hell. But all sin is not equal. Look at verse 12. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Now you've got to keep in mind, Pilate just decided in his head, I'm going to release Jesus. I'm, he's seeking for an opportunity to release Jesus. He doesn't want to kill Jesus. But in verse, uh, in verse, uh, well not, same verse there, uh, verse 12, And from therefore Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. So now they, they say something that makes Pilate change his mind. And Pilate still understands that he's a, you know, he, he has no fault that he did nothing wrong. But because Pilate is a politician, they said, hey, if you let him go, you're not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king, speaketh against Caesar. So now they're like saying, Pilate, you can't let this man go. Or where, you know, because he's saying he's a king. And if you let him go, then you're saying that he's the king, not Caesar. And you're not Caesar's friend. And here's the problem with Pilate. He wanted to do right. He, he knew that what they were doing was wrong. But he caved in because of outside influence. Because people were telling him, no, 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 you need to do this. And then they brought in his political career, and then that just settled it. And then he did, you know, isn't that a sad thing? That somebody would do that which they know is wrong. Because, not because they even want to, they don't even want, I mean, he doesn't want to crucify Jesus. But just because other people want him to crucify Jesus. That's a sad statement for Pilate. And, um, you know, because as you read this, I'm almost thinking to myself, man, is Pilate a saved man? I mean, does Pilate believe on Jesus Christ? Because he doesn't want to kill him. But he gives in to, here's what he gives in to, peer pressure. And he, you say, well, peer pressure is just for kids. No, peer pressure is for everybody. Even a Roman leader gives in to peer pressure. Because people want, what is peer pressure? Somebody wants you to do something, you don't necessarily want to do it, but you do it anyway. And, you know, we, we need to be careful with that. To not just sin... Because we're giving in to other people uh, what, what they want to do. Or because they're threatening us. You know, Pilate should have just stood up and said, you know what? I'm going to do what's right. And, 
And I'm sure if they would have accused him to Caesar, Pilate would have been able to explain to himself, look, these people are just envious of this man. He did nothing wrong. It's not like he's trying to build up an army and take over the Roman Empire or anything. I mean, the man had no fault. I'm sure he could explain to him. But instead, he'd just rather not even deal with it. And then in verse 13, the Bible says, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, what was the saying that he heard? When they said, you know, if thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. And in verse 13, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, he saith unto the Jews, Behold, your king. Now in verse 14, it said that it was the preparation of the Passover. I'm not going to preach about it, because we already preached an entire sermon on it. But just to remind you, you know, people will look at this verse... And they'll say, Jesus was crucified on a Friday. You know, and they made a whole holiday of it. Good Friday. And, um, and they'll say, well, he was crucified on Friday because the next day was a Passover. But you've got you to gotta study the Bible. The Bible said that it was the prep- I'm sorry. They'll say that it was a Friday because they'll say the next day was a Sabbath. And we'll later on and we'll see that it was a Sabbath. But in verse 14, it tells us that it was the preparation of the Passover. Alright? And if you remember in the Old Testament, the, those holy days, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the Tabernacles, and all those things, those were considered Sabbath days as well, even though, even if they didn't fall on the seventh day, Saturday. Okay? So the preparation of the Passover, that's why it was a Sabbath day. Jesus Christ died on, a, on our calendar on Wednesday night, which is why we have church on Wednesday night, because this is when Jesus died. On Wednesday night at 6 p.m., or about 6 p.m., is when Jesus died. But if you see in verse 14, 14 you can't just read past those verses. You've got to keep those in mind and look at all of it in its context. And it was a preparation of the Passover. So they were preparing for the Passover. And it had to happen right at the Passover, because if you remember, Jesus was the Passover lamb. And about the sixth hour, that's about 12 p.m., He saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. You know, you see them just playing. They're just playing the part. They're just trying to get, say whatever they must say to get uh, Jesus crucified. Then delivered he him, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. Look at verse 17. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of his skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him, and two other with him on either side, and Jesus in the midst. If you remember, Jesus was crucified with two thieves on either side of him. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now look down at your King James Bible. If you look at verse 19, the Bible says, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. If you notice, all those words will be in capital letters, just to teach you something about the King James Bible. In our King James Bible... Obviously, the, gramma- the, the, the grammatical structure of sentences, the way things were written back in 1611 when our Bible was translated, is different than today. So in your Bible, if you ever see a, a, like a complete sentence uh, or a phrase that is in all capital letters, the reason it's in capital letters is because that sentence was written down. Okay? So that's the way they're letting you know this is what was actually written. So if somebody, somebody would have read this, this is what it would say. So if you see something in all capital letters, it's letting you know this was actually written on a piece of paper. And if you look at verse 19, and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, so it's telling you this is what the writing said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. So just something for you to know as you read your Bible, if you see those capital letters like that, it's just letting you know that's actually written down. Also in the King James Bible, if, when something is being quoted, you'll never find a quote, quotation marks. You'll just find, you know, sometimes you'll just see something and it's kind of like a random capital letter and it seems like it doesn't belong. Well, it does belong. It's just the, the way they let you know that someone is now 
you know, a quote is beginning is by starting that quote with a capital letter. So if you see a capital letter in the middle of a sentence, it seems like, that doesn't really belong there. Well, if you look at it, it's more likely somebody speaking. And they're just kind of, that's kind of their way of letting you know, this is our type of quotation marks. But look at verse 20. This title then read many of the Jews. For the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest unto the, uh, of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, When I have written, I have written. And then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts. To every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without the seam, woven from top throughout. They said therefore among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which say, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now if you remember, uh, we saw there, we read there, we won't go back to it, but in Psalm 22, we saw in verse 18, that they part my garment among them, and cast lots upon my vesture. So again we see another prophecy being fulfilled, and we read that in Psalm 22. When we were there. Look at verse 25. Now there stood by the cross Jesus, by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sisters, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said he to the disciples, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her unto his own home. If you remember, we talked about this before, but whenever in the book of John there is mentioned a disciple who is not mentioned by name, that's the disciple John. Because John, when he wrote the book, he just didn't mention himself by name. He always called himself the other disciple or the disciple that Jesus loved or whatever. So, it's interesting though, if you look at verse 25 to 27, the people who are at the death of Jesus. If you remember, Jesus had the 12 apostles. He eventually had 70 disciples. He, uh, you know, had fed four or 5,000, you know, men plus women and children at, at times. He had hundreds and thousands of followers, the people who knew him, people who came to him and preached. But at the cross, here's the only people that were with Jesus. A few women and John. You know, isn't that amazing? I mean, the, the, the story of the cross of Jesus Christ is amazing to me because it really shows us, you know, when, when stressful, a stressful situation comes, when persecution comes, what, what people do. We saw last week that Peter denied Jesus and he left the ministry. You know, and Peter eventually gets right with God and does great, wonderful things for God. But at that moment in time, he just quit on Jesus. And the rest of the disciples were just, just ran out. But these women were there. You know, it's amazing to me. These women, you think, you, we think, you know, the Bible says that women are the weaker vessel. And, you know, as far as physical strength, a lot of times they are weaker than men. But you see their strength spiritually when they're just, I don't care what anybody thinks, I'm going to be at the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible says they stood up by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sisters, uh, sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother, here's another interesting thing. Up until the end of Jesus, he's thinking about his family. Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, that's John. He says unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then say to, to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her uh, from his own, uh, unto his own home. So, Jesus was making sure that his mother was being taken care of. But look at this. This is interesting. Verse 26, the Bible says, The disciple standing by, John... Whom he loved. Now you got to ask this question. Did Jesus love John more than the other disciples? And I would, I would give you the answer is no. 
Because the Bible says that the Bible says that the, that God is not a respecter of persons. God does not look at one individual and have more respect for one than the other. God does look at all of us as equals. God does look at all of us as sinners. And God does not love any one person more than the other. Alright? So, but the Bible makes this reference about John so much that he was a disciple whom Jesus loved. And, you know, sometimes we'll think, oh, Jesus must have loved John more than others. But here's the thing. Jesus did not love John more than others in the fact that he loved him more like he chose him better than the others. But Jesus probably loved, the reason it's said that he loved John more than others is because John probably just had a better relationship with Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus was available to everybody, the same. And Jesus is available to you and I, the same. And the thing is, we could have the same relationship with Jesus that John had. And we could have the same relationship with Jesus that maybe Peter had. You know? But when the Bible says that Jesus, whom he loved, you know, and I got so much to say, but I just, I'm going to run out of time. But you got to understand this. I don't think that it was that Jesus loved him more than he loved the other disciples. I just think that John was more aware of the fact that Jesus loved him. And John just, for whatever reason, had such an understanding of the love of Jesus. And that's why John, if you study the book of John, or if you study 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, he talks so much about the love of God, hereby we perceive the love of God. And he, he's talking a lot about how God loves us and how we can love Him. And if you remember in John, which, uh, the whole time, you know, John is writing down these verses about, if you love me, keep my commandments. He's talking about this relationship. I don't think that God respected John more than anybody else, but John just understood the love of God. And he understood that Jesus loved him. And here's what the, the radical thing about John is this. When the man understood the love of God so deeply, it helped him to be faithful. John was the only one of the disciples who actually went into the house of the high priest while Jesus was being uh, judged and didn't, you know, deny Jesus like Peter. He stood firm. He actually comes to the cross. I mean, you think he'd be afraid. Are they going to crucify me? I'm one of his disciples. I'm one of the main people. But he has no fear. He's standing strong. He's being faithful. He's there at the cross. The only one that stood with him. And you just got to think, I wonder if it was because John understood the love of God. And you know, we as Christians, we just need to understand the love that God has for us. And the fact that He loves us so much. And it's not that He loves... Look, you can have the same relationship with God as John can. And we have the same access to God as anybody else. But it's the opportunities that we take. Do we take the opportunity? Look at verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst... Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now in verse 30, Jesus makes this very famous statement. It is finished. Now many people teach that Jesus made this statement because the work of salvation was done. But that, again, I'm just going to tell you what I believe in regards to this, and I believe that's a fallacy. I don't believe that when he said it is finished, he was saying the work of Calvary is done. Because here's what people say. Jesus said it is finished. So then all, all that needed to be done for us to receive salvation was done. He died. And then they'll teach that he went down to this place called paradise. And he brought all these people out of it because, you know, it was done. He, they, they could not be saved. Which I preached a sermon, an entire sermon on that. You can look up for it online if you want. Um, uh, you know, and, and we went through that. So I'm not going to go through that. But here's why I don't believe that 
when he said it is finished, he meant the work of Cal- the work uh, of, of salvation is done. Is because here, because what's the most important part of, of the the gospel? Because the word gospel means the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the most important part of that whole you know gospel message is this: the resurrection. Okay, if Jesus would not have resurrected three days later, then he would have just been a dead man like anyone else, and salvation could not have been granted to us. It, he could the, the work of salvation could not have been finished because he hadn't been resurrected. Romans ten nine says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Notice you don't have to believe that he died. I mean, you, obviously you have to believe that he died to believe that he rose from the grave. But it doesn't emphasize that we believe that he died because everybody dies. It emphasizes that we believe that he rose from the grave. So the work of salvation was not done until the moment that Jesus rose from the grave. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So he had to have been resurrected in order for salvation's work to be done. So when he said it is finished, nobody was saved. Nobody could get saved at that point. He's not talking about the work of salvation because he still has to go to hell. He still has to pay for our sins. He still has to be resurrected three days later. So you say, well, what is he talking about? Well, let me show you what I think he's talking about. If you go with me to James in uh, your New Testament, towards the end of the New Testament, go with me to James chapter number... uh, Where do I want you to go? James chapter number 1. And look at verse 15. Actually, let's do this. Find James chapter number 1, and then find 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And I want to show you a few a few things. James chapter number 1. And then go with me. Keep your finger in James chapter number 1 because we're going to be looking at that. But go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And uh, let's look at verse number 21. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse 21. The Bible says... For He, talking about Jesus Christ, for He, or I'm sorry, talking about God, we understand God is Jesus Christ, but you got to understand what He's saying. It says, For He hath made Him, so that He is referring to God the Father, Him is referring to God the Son, Jesus Christ. It says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, look at what it says, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Isn't that an amazing verse? Don't let that, don't, don't just read that and not understand The Bible says, For He, God, hath made Him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin. The Bible says that Jesus Christ knew no sin. Did you know that? That Jesus Christ, He never sinned. He never told a lie. He never said a bad word. He never had a bad thought. He never disobeyed His parents. He never did anything wrong. He knew no sin. But the Bible says that God actually made Him sin. He didn't didn't just put our sins upon Him. He actually turned Him into sin. And it says that He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin. And what's the purpose of doing that? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The Bible says that God was made sin. Do you remember in John chapter number 3, when Jesus said that if I be lifted up from the earth, and He said in the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent, and that, that picture there of the serpent, uh, the picture of sin, and being on that pole in the same way that Jesus would be lifted up like that serpent. You know, that, why is Jesus comparing Himself to a serpent when He's on the cross? Well, here's the thing. When He was on the cross, the Bible says that He became sin. It wasn't just that He was the Son of God dying on the cross. It was actually the sins. All our sins that we've ever performed. All the sins that we've ever done. Every sin that would condemn each and every one 
righteousness of God in Him. He did this. Here's the purpose. What is the purpose of the cross? To pay our sin debt. Go with me to uh, James chapter number 1. Look at verse 15. The Bible says that Jesus became sin on the cross for us. And in James 1.15, the Bible says, Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, look at what it says, look at the next four words. When it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. Isn't it interesting that Jesus Christ, who became sin for us on the cross, I, this is what I think he's saying. He's saying sin, when it is finished. He said it is finished, and the Bible says he gave up the ghost and he died. I think he was just talking about James 1.15. Sin, when it is finished, bring it forth death. He was saying, I'm going to die. He said, it is finished. What is finished? The sin. And he said it, it brought death. Because the wages of sin is death. Let me tell you something. The Bible says, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Let me tell you kids, you know, all you kids that are here, just understand this. When lust hath conceived, it brings sin. And sin, when it's finished, it bringeth forth death. Let me tell you something. You might look at sin and you might think, oh, that's going to be so much fun. Oh, those drugs are going to be so much fun. Oh, that relationship is going to be so much fun. Oh, that gang or that whatever influence you may have, you know, at school with your friends, whatever. It's going to be so much fun to partake in that sin. But let me tell you something. God said, when sin is finished, it always brings forth this, death. You know, people think alcohol is so much fun. But watch the alcoholic and tell me that they live a great life. They, it just brings forth death. And Jesus, I believe when he said it is finished, you know, because nothing in the King James Bible is just a coincidence. When things have the same, ter- you know, phrases or the same uh, words being used, I believe that there's, God is doing that to allow us to study it out. And the Bible says, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And we understand from 2 Corinthians that Jesus became sin for us on the cross, and when He became that sin, I believe He was saying, it is finished, and then He died, because the Bible says, when sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So I don't believe that He was saying, it's finished, everybody can be saved now, because if Jesus would have never resurrected from the grave, none of us could be saved. He had to resurrect from the grave. So, he couldn't have been talking about that. And I believe he was saying, sin hath done its work in me. It is finished. And then he bowed us, you know, and then he gave up the ghost. Uh, go back with me to John, look at verse 31. we got to hurry. Yeah, good night. we got to hurry. i got five minutes. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to skip a lot of this. But uh, look at verse 31. Then uh, the Jews, therefore, because it was a preparation... Um, that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. And then it says in parentheses, for that Sabbath day was in high day. John 19 really clears up the whole issue about, you know, the, the you know, Good Friday and all that. Because it lets us know, it was a Sabbath day, but it was in high day. It was a special Sabbath day. So it wasn't the seventh day. It was a, for us it would be a Thursday. Um, but it was a Passover. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of, of uh, the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that uh, he, was all, he was dead already, they break down his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. If you remember, in Psalm 22, we read that he was poured out like water. Well, they pierced him, and he was uh, poured out, uh, and, and there came out blood and water. Verse 35, And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he, uh, that he saith true, uh, that he might believe. Look at verse 36. 
for these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken again, or shall not be broken, and again another scripture says, they shall look on him in whom they have pierced. Now there where it says a broken shall not be broken, I don't have time to go to it, I apologize, I want you to see it. In Psalms 34, it says, he keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Alright? So, that's another prophecy. But I do want you to see this prophecy. This, this one. If we don't get to anything else, I want you to see this real quick. Go with me to the uh, Old Testament, to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is towards the end of the Old Testament. If you get to Malachi, you've gone too far. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. The book right before it is Zechariah. And look at verse 12. In uh, chapter number 12 and verse 1. Zech, uh, Zechariah, chapter number... Let me get there myself. 12... And verse 1. And, and look at this. Because the Bible says in John 19.37, it says, And again, another scripture says, They shall look on him in whom they have pierced. Now this is very interesting. In Zechariah chapter number 12, in verse 1, I'm not going to read it. I wanted to read the whole thing, uh, so you can get the entire concept, but I just don't have time. But if you look at verse 1, the Bible says, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord. Now you see there, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I told you again, you know, some of this, the language of the King James Bible. Capital, the, the word Lord in all capital letters is referring to Jehovah God. And in verse 1 it says, The burden of the word of the Lord, and saying the word of Jehovah for Israel. And then it says, Saith the Lord. So it's saying, Saith Jehovah. So who's speaking here? Jehovah God. Um, just skip down to verse 3. I'm not going to be able to read the whole thing. I apologize. You can read it in your own time. But skip down to verse 3. And it says, at the beginning of verse 3, it says, And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome... You know what it keeps talking. When it says, I will make... That's Jehovah God speaking. Okay? The Lord. Look at verse 4. In that day, saith the Lord. So again, we see that the Lord is speaking. Jehovah God. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Drop down to verse 6. It says, in that day will I make the governors of Judah. Again, the Lord is continuing to speak. Jehovah God. Uh, drop down to verse 9. It says, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy. I'm just showing you. And it's all in, in all the context. If we could read the whole thing, it'd be better. But I'm showing you the whole time the Lord is speaking. Jehovah God is speaking. And look at verse 10. Zechariah chapter number 12, verse 10. It says, And I, who's speaking? Jehovah God. The Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And look at what it says. Very interesting. And they shall. Look upon me, who's speaking there? Jehovah God, whom they have pierced. You know, tell the Jehovah's Witnesses to read their Bible because they're a bunch of morons walking around talking about that Jesus is not God when the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 very clearly that the Lord, Jehovah God, God Almighty, the I Am, said, They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Well, who got pierced? Jesus Christ. Is Jesus the Lord Jehovah God? Yes, He is. According to Zechariah chapter number 12 and verse 10, the Bible doesn't say that a man said that. The Bible says that the Lord Jehovah God said, They shall look on me and whom they have pierced. And who was pierced according to John 19.37? Jesus Christ. That's why it says in verse 37, you can go back to John 19. And again, another scripture says, They shall look on Him and whom they have pierced. Let me tell you something. Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is God. Don't let some Jehovah's Witness tell you that Jesus was just a man. Don't let some Mormon tell you that Jesus was just a man. Jesus was God in the flesh. That's why we saw in 2 Corinthians that He knew no sin. How could a human being never sin? Only if they were God. Look at verse 38. 
And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave, and he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And verse 39, And there came also Nicodemus, uh, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought mixture and myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Uh, wait, it's interesting that Joseph of Arimathea comes, he's a, the Bible says very clearly he's a disciple of Jesus Christ, but it says that he does it secretly. You know, again, we're seeing somebody who's following Jesus, but he's just being secretive about it. And then Nicodemus, we don't even know if he's saved or not. To me, it seems like it's very possible that he was saved, because he came to Jesus in John 3. Uh, earlier in John, we saw that he was kind of standing up for Jesus when the, uh, when the Pharisees wanted to crucify him. And then here, he's coming to him, he brings him a gift of a lot of value, and he's taking care of his body. But you have these people who are just not willing to take a stand for Jesus Christ. You know, it's a sad thing. Um, that as Jesus is dying, there's only one man, and, and then the women, but only one disciple who stood up for Jesus, and that was John. You know, and we ought to, we ought to uh, uh, strive to be that, the type of disciple who's going to stand up for Jesus. But here's what you've got to take away from this, from, from this story. This was, you've got to understand, this was the most famous uh, event in history, and the most important event in history, the fact that Jesus died on the cross. Because look, if Jesus would not have died on the cross for our sins, none of us could be saved. We'd all be condemned on the way to, on the way to hell. But you, when you think of what Jesus went through, here's what you've got to understand. When you think of what Jesus went through on the cross, and what He did for us, He was beaten, He was mutilated. You can read in Isaiah. He, I mean, He went through so many things, and He did it for us. And then you, and then you wonder to yourself, what are you doing for Jesus Christ? You know, are you living from the... Paul said this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, you know, and he goes on and talks about it. But he said, you know, I am crucified with Christ. And, you got, and I just got to ask you this question. If Jesus Christ was willing to go through all that torture, die on the cross, go to hell for three days and three nights, and then rise from the grave in order to give us life, would you be willing to live for God? Or are you just going to do whatever you want? Whatever you, you know, are you going to be like these Pharisees, uh, like, like Pilate, uh, and these Pharisees who know what is the right thing to do, but just refuse to do it for peer pressure, for their own envy, for their own sin? Are you going to deny Jesus Christ? Are you going to do what you want after you understand what Jesus went through for you? And if, and if the answer, and you say, you know, and it's easy to answer with words, but here's how you answer, with your actions, with your life. And, you know... If we look at Jesus and we say, Jesus, I know you went through all that, but I don't care. I'm just going to do what I want to do. You know what that tells all of us? Is that we are petty, petty people. Because when I look at Pilate, I think to myself, what a small, petty man who would do wrong, knowing that he was doing wrong. You know, but many times we live like that. Because we know what's right, we know what's wrong, we know what Jesus has gone through, but we just do what we want anyway. So let's just try to be... To be the type of person like John, who's just faithful and true. But here's how you do it. you got to understand the love of God. And you got to understand that God loves you. So let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church, Lord. And Father, uh, you know, we're just...